All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Marty. We hope everybody's doing great out there. Mad Mel, how you doing over there? I'm doing, 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 doing. Praying I don't get the Rona. Yeah, Rona, the Corona uh, is bad news. Corona Queens. Yeah. The home of Cool G Rap doing it. Um you know how's the weather over in the over in the good old East Coast? We've dealt with we got a like crazy like weird snowy day the other day that was just horrendous. I mean uh, Saturday it poured all day and then all of a sudden it was like we, we went by the door and it was snowing and then it was all icy the next morning and then it's been like super cold today like and felt like it was going to snow some more. The sign of the doom to come, I think. The year is going to go out with a bang. I think the year is going out with a bang. I think we're going to end up with like a fucking four-foot blizzard or some shit. With with, wind so chilly, people be freezing to death walking to their houses, running. Yeah, the blizzard blizzard of 77 won't be nothing anymore. But uh, interestingly enough, you know, the first kind of, the convention, uh, the first big convention has been announced, the horror convention for next year. We're uh, not just announced, but the first one that's kind of rattling off guests uh, you know, notable guests that are very, very cool, worth going to see guests. Yeah. That would be the Weekend of Fear. Weekend of Horrors. A Weekend of Horror. My apologize. I was thrown off because I think it was originally this was a Fangoria convention. Um, Fangoria, I think, caught itself in hot water recently, so maybe they're trying to let that name simmer down a little bit before it uh, gets thrown back out to the public. But, yeah, there was an, a different group behind uh, yeah, because the, I yeah, because I, I I I know which one you're talking about now. Yeah, and it's a legendary con. This is this is one of the first ones I think that have been was around. Is it New Jersey? Yep. Yeah, this is one of the first big ones. Like before, cons were in every ta- every fucking McDonald's bathroom in town. You know? Yeah, like I'm sitting here literally drooling over this guest list of people they've announced. Um, Clyde Barker. That name alone was what I was like tagging you when as soon as I seen the post. Yeah, Clive, Clive's the dude. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I'd love to meet Clive. He's uh, he was sick a little. He was sick last year, so I'm I'm happy to hear that he's doing better. That's you know, very good good stuff. Yeah, uh, Norman Reedus. Like, Norman Reedus. Yeah, he's he's a veteran. David Harbor, Tom Savini, Savini. Lot of Walking Dead cast. The Walking Dead is making. I heard, yeah, people said that they like the show again, so I guess it's making it a yeah, because it's over. Well, that's what they like about it. Yeah, yeah. No, Mick Garris. Mick Garris, you know the the the, the originator of uh, sitting down and interviewing horror people and then becoming a big filmmaker. Got to have respect for Mick Garris. I'd, I'd love to meet Mick Garris. That'd be cool. Get a great podcast. Yeah, that would be fun for sure. Don Mancini. Oh, great, great. I think our buddy James Balsamo worked with Seriously, him. though, you got Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero at the oh, same convention. That's devastating. Uh, that's, I, oh, we have to go. That'd be a great <laughs> pick. Count me in. I'm down on that. I love yeah. The both of them. I got a cool picture of Ashley Lawrence and um, um, uh, I think Adrian Barbeau uh, in the middle of them, like, boom, from like the first convention i ever did at rocket shock yeah is- they got um adrian king from the original friday the 13th never met her Wan- wanu that's definitely I, yeah i think she was at rock and shock one year maybe one two. year and maybe 
I don't know why. I don't know if it was, I don't, I, I think it was a year I didn't end up going for whatever reason. A year without a Melissa. Yeah, it was a year without a Melissa. <laughs> yeah. That's no good. But the lineup for this con is amazing. And even like the, the, the events that they've announced and the slash, they have the 80s slasher directors panel. Mm. It's, I like with, that. Yeah. Um, Tony Timpone, Gary Sherman, John McNaughton, Armand Mastrioani, Joe Zito, Mark Rosin, Robert Hiltzik. Hiltzik, William and William Lustig from uh, Mania. Lustig's the dude. We met Lustig. We met um, Nicotero to go back. He was at Rock and Shock. I got a Nicotero gave me a Dead Walk po- uh, newspaper thing that I have to this day hung up. Love it. Yeah, I just, just wait. That's good. That's like sensory overload for the first convention after a year of no conventions. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's one of those deals, you know. But yeah, I, I, I definitely want to roll out. It's going to be probably packed. I think. What do you think? You think this, the conventions are going to return strong, or you think they're going to come back weak? It, I think. I think they. I think they might come back strong, um, if it's safe. Yeah. Just because people are going to be looking for an excuse for something to do, people are going to want to see their, you know, their their peers and friends, and that they haven't been able to see. And what better place to gather with your fellow cronies than a convention? What scares me the most about that is the idea of meet and greet pictures with masks. You can't even tell you with certain people, but don't worry, you pay full price for. Yeah. So you know going through a line where you're not allowed to even talk to people. You just kind of look at them from 10 feet away while they sign your picture. And then somebody gives you the picture. That's scary too. It takes away the whole intimacy. At that point, you might as well just buy it off of eBay or like online. Cause you, you want the interaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I don't think that's going to help the situation any, if there is, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wish the conventions and whatnot that are going on right now, even despite Corona, they're not really posting many pictures. Yeah. You know, they do, and they do have to play it safe. And, but, you know, usually with the conventions, everybody's posting pictures of everything they're doing all weekend. Right. And I'm the few conventions that have already been going on. And from people that I know normally would be posting tons of pictures are not Maybe posting that. pictures. So I don't know if it's, it it's got to be a different atmosphere than, you know, the conventions that we're used to. I mean, we're used to debauchery and shenanigans when we go. Right. You know, you can't do that wearing a face mask. Yeah, you know, it's 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 um it's one of those things, you know. But I'm hoping it'll be back. And I want it to get back. And I hope it's got to be safe because I also hate to say this for multiple reasons. But if it comes back and we have some horror horror icons or even or guests even – I mean, or even like me, audience people that prove into the case, but you have a couple people that pass away, unfortunately, from it. We probably will never have conventions again. That'll probably be the end of horror conventions. Yep. So they really got to be delicate. They can't just run back into it for a money thing or to make the fans happy. They really got to be safe because it is one of those things where you rush in too much, you make it a bigger problem. It could be the end of horror conventions in general. Yeah. uh, Just the way, like we're seeing the end of theaters right now. It could also be that, which what what a, you know, what a really fucking dull, bad, you know, boring world. All these things just dropping off. You can't go to the movies no more. You're not going to be able to go to conventions. 
it, it's everything's going to be it's a good thing we have the internet now because that's at the rate we're going that's going to be the only way we're going to get to see anyone or anything anymore it's very it's like turning it really is turning into like a bad sci-fi movie of the future type deal yeah a really bad sci-fi like super like b rated speaking of b rated you hear they're doing a adams family netflix flick with uh tim burton beef that could be cool huh that could be cool that could be I, fun. I I know. like the Adams fan. I like the Adams family movies, and like this last one that just came out, what last year, or the year before, yeah. I was kind of like, oh come on, they're making it. You know, they're doing it in this cartoon style. I hate that cartoon style, and then yeah. I watched it, and I kind of liked it. Yeah, I love the <laughs> I love the TV show, of course. I love you know the movies, you know Adams Family, Adams Family Values. I was right around the time. Oh God, you got to love Raul Julia, you know. you know. Raul Julia, the man, you know, rest in peace. He died yeah. way too young, right off the Street Fighter, I believe. Um, like his career I, at that time was just really starting to get big. Yeah, he was like a respected actor, and he hustled and paid his dues. So he was well, he was known and respected. But com- as far as commercial success, I think he was kind of really breaking into. Yeah, that. I think that I think the Adams Family movies and like all those big, huge budget movies were yeah. redef- redefining who he was. And he's perfect as Gomez. Like when you re- when you see him, you can't think of anybody else as Gomez. Right now they're they're tossing around the idea of Depp, which I think Depp would be a great Gomez. I think he was almost born to play Gomez. But, and him uh, and Tim Burton work so well together. Yeah, they do. So you know that if they do come together to do that project, that it's going to be pretty dope. Burton and Depp is like Scorsese and De Niro. It's or like Helen Maddie. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, it, iconic teams. Icon- exactly. Prolific. Prolific. We're going to be a trivial pursuit question. I dig that. I support <laughs> that. I'm all over that. You know what I mean? The indie uh, version. You know, so I think, I think Johnny will do a pretty good job with it. What do you think? I do. I, like I said, I love the chemistry uh, and the finished products that those two put out when they're working together. Yeah, yeah, they got a good vibe going for them. I always get down with the, with that that combination, you know. And we'll see how Alex. We got our. We'll guest, see what Alex feels. Yeah, we got our guest popping in momentarily over here, and uh, I feel like he'll have a dog in this fight too. I feel I take him for a fan of the family, you know. What I oh mean? God, yeah, and I can see that. I can see him drawing something with them, oh, sure. and it being pretty dope. Now, that's a big tease right there for anybody that don't know how to read and read the headline of the episode. <laughs> we're, we're talking about an artiste. We have an artiste with us, you know. On the Shock Treatment Show, we have a lot of artistes, you know, filmmakers and such columns of artistes. But we have a true artiste with us this evening. You know what I mean? We'll get him on soon. Um, Depp will probably kill it. and There will be sequels. I heard Depp, didn't he get fired from Pirates of the Caribbean? Right, there's a new dude. I, in his thing, I think. Yeah, but I don't know how well that's going to go over because everybody, like, who else can you picture being Jack Sparrow other than him? I agree. It'll be one of those things. They'll come. They'll say we made a mistake, and then they'll give them like a hundred million dollars to come back for the next. Yeah, one. like they did with Kate Beckinsale with the Underworld movies. You know, she wasn't in that one film. People bitched about it, and then they brought her back in the last one. Johnny Depp's a weird dude. 
He's fallen. Unfortunately, he's fallen apart so much in the last couple of years. They think he's one of those celebrities that like eat the brains of children, and he couldn't can't get no more children's brains. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure his uh, his divorce or whatever from Amber Heard isn't helping the whole situation. Yeah, I, I feel bad for him because from what I hear, uh, he was the good guy. And yeah, he's getting, but that. he's getting the bad rap, you know, because oh, the female is always so the easy. one that's in the right. It's very easy. I mean, there's definitely bad dudes out there, of course, but it's... But I heard there's, like, a petition out for to get her off of Aquaman, too, because everybody is mad about, you know, all the allegations. That well, so Aquaman, too, if Aquaman 2 can have a man like Jason Momoa. Well, um, I mean, she's not even that great of an actress, so it's not even, like, anyone would make her if they, changed, if they changed the character out. Her acting is more on her face, Mel. It's not so much... A performance, an outer <laughs> performance, it's more of an honor face. It's more yeah. of like a look. It's more of like a I'm gonna like a look. Plead the fifth you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just gonna plead the fifth on that whole You know, it's, it's weird. Things like in search way they, they usually only have like a six year their 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 talent usually fades in like six years. I don't know what happens, but yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Well, when know? the things are on their faces, you know, you kinda I guess you can maintain. They turn into Mickey Rourke after a while. Oh my God, Mickey Rock looks horrible. Mickey Rock, <laughs> we'd love to get Mickey on the show. That'd be great. Mickey Rock would punch me in the face through the through the computer for even making fun of him right there for for two seconds. I feel like yeah, yeah probably me. But like I like, there's just a point when plastic surgery is just too much, and he has surpassed that point. It'd be like yo, my face is fucked up, and where the fuck is Alex Hoy, dude? He's like, I don't get all day for this. Uh, the wrestler. No, great. yeah, where is he? Like, he doesn't want to connect. Uh, the thing about Mickey Rourke is he's a great actor, superb. Should have won an Academy Award for The Wrestler. Did not win strictly because when he won the Golden Globe for it, he went up to the podium and was like, yo, motherfucker. You know, I don't know what he, I don't know his exact quote, but he was, he was dropping F-bombs in the thank you speech. And like the Academy Award, don't play that shit. Awards don't play that shit. They want yeah, they got all mad about it. They want you to feel they're a little classier than they actually are. Type deal, you know what I mean? So they don't want you to, uh, you know, uh, you know, like uh, scuff up or tarnish up the, the, the image. They're very into the image, as you know, as everybody knows from current. Always when it comes to Hollywood. Yeah, so they don't want somebody that you know, kind of. You can't exactly tell what they're going to say. You know, uh, having a, it's like a loaded microphone. It's like a loaded gun. You know what I mean? Yep. And we have an empty gun because Alex Hoy is chilling. Chilling on the beach in, in Venezuela with fucking cocktails, laughing, laughing at our empty screen of him. While it's, and, while it's 90 degrees and he's getting served pina coladas by some chick in a bikini. Alex and Adam Green are laughing at us right now. They go, ah. <laughs> we'll get Adam on the show soon. We uh, we interviewed Adam for a documentary a couple of years ago. Good guy. Good guy. Stay super busy. TV shows, movies. He's a musician, too, has a band. Um, Haddonfield. They played Rock and Shock. Did you catch them when they played Rock and Shock a couple of years I've, back? Yeah, no, I've never really gone to, I never, with all the times I went to, to Rock and Shock, the only time I really went to the concerts was when I went last in 2018, but I never saw them play. They weren't, I think they played that night, but I had just missed them from when I left the convention center and got over there. They had just finished their set. 
I think I've seen King Diamond. I've seen King Diamond and Rock and Shock. Uh, I've seen ICP a couple times. I've seen Twisted. We I've missed Twisted's Rock. show. We thought it was earlier than it yeah. was. So we thought we had already missed it. But we were all doing shots in the parking lot at the hotel. Yeah. And then found out why we were doing shots in the whole par- hotel's parking lot that the concert had been going on the whole time. And we could have been at the concert. Yeah. <laughs> so, because they had said Twisted was going to be on at 4. And we all got to the hotel at like 6.37. Right. Hey, oh my God! Uh, handsome guy. Yo, can't even recognize you anymore. You look fantastic. Ah, oh, thank you. Sorry, I need to put up my blind so you can't see the palm trees and all the uh, you know bikini babes and stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was gonna. I was super jealous. You know. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my martini, but that's okay. I'll do this podcast while oh my God, that's going on. <laughs> Martinis are good. We talked about you having cocktails in Venezuela. Uh, it's all a lie. I don't even drink. I'm just a fraud. Uh, <laughs> it's apple juice in a glass. Frauds are the new truth this day and age. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how you get anywhere, I guess. Well, not Well, that sounds way more morbid than it's supposed to be, but... You know, as Kevin Smith famously said, that everyone just fails upwards. Hopefully. Every oh, it's so true. Everyone just fails upwards and constantly. You just have to keep on failing. Well, I think we can get that. We can figure that out. We can do that. Yeah, out. no kidding. So how have you been handling the Rona? I don't got it. No, I know. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> occupying your time, see, you really it. can't go anywhere. Yeah, no, seriously. Call me out like that. I come on this show... <laughs> and you oh, say I'm, uh, I'm diseased. <laughs> you can't just drop that bomb. No, that's like saying somebody has herpes or something. Yeah, no kidding. How's the chemo going, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have said that. No, but uh, it's it's uh, going all right. My life didn't actually change too much. The only thing that changed was like my workload because being a freelance cartoonist and graphic designer and etc is um, everyone's stuck at home, and they're just like, you know what? I need to start my brand. Let's get someone to design something. And so it's like, hey, Alex, can you do this? And it's like, yeah, I can. And then it's, hey, Alex, can you do this? Yeah, I'll do that too. And it's like, okay, uh, work, 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 work. And uh, it's been a double-edged sort of great. Yeah, I think that's the one productive, positive thing that came from any of this is the fact that I think a lot of people are branching out and finally trying that thing they always wanted to try but never did, you know what I mean? Oh yeah! Last episode we had a uh, new uh, new filmmaker who you know during COVID uh, started making films. Was it April, Mel? Yeah, he started his company um, Subsoil Films in April of this year. They're putting out their first their first anthology horror film. Phenomenal cast. Yeah, it's good stuff. That you know, so in the yin and the yang, you have a gentleman like that that is just starting their career, and you have a gentleman like Alex. That since childhood, seasoned season veteran, veteran childhood. <laughs> you know, he's been drawing since since birth. You know what I mean? Came um, out the womb with a box of crayons. Or I heard, but we have the man here with us. So, Alex, how did it all get started with the drawing with you? Uh, well, I was drawing ever since I was a little kid, and I was heavily encouraged by my parents because my uh, my dad had a collection of old comic books that he would read to me at night and stuff, and you know, they always encouraged that I had a passion for artwork and going to conventions and stuff like that when I was a kid, and they kept influencing that. And uh, I I still remember I used to sneak into my dad's room and go in between his hidden secret area yeah. and would pull out 
his heavy metal magazines. Yeah. And they uh, were clearly comics that I should not have been reading, but I still absolutely have a love for heavy metal. Yeah. And that was a big influence too. Uh, and, you know, all sorts of pop culture and a bunch of other things influenced me from like Spider-Man to Image Comics to video games and all that stuff. Uh, even, you know, just uh, kept going and even went to a summer camp where I learned how to cartoon uh, for for a summer and I had such a knack for it. As I got older, I became a volunteer and I helped out in a class. Uh, the guy's name is Bill Graining. He's the guy who uh, taught the class. And it was uh, very impactful. And uh, I definitely owe a lot to uh, growing up to want to be an artist. And to be an artist is to just constantly, like, just try and fail. And that failure is a teaching tool. Yeah. And that's something that I believe echoes as pretentiously as it sounds that happens in life you have to completely fall in your face it's true because if you want to understand how hard it is to hit the ground sometimes it's better to have your you know your face hit it sometimes it's good for it's part of the learning process for sure what a terrible metaphor that was Uh. (laughs) it's it's true though god knows i've 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 Landed face first plenty of times. <laughs> I, I believe I met your mother at your booth. You, she, is she at your booth sometimes? That's oh, my mom is my unofficial official PR manager. Okay, good. She, good. She, she does a fantastic job. <laughs> she won't stop. Even when I protest, she'll just keep going. She's met contacts, big contacts that I have now, before I even get a chance to say a word. Yeah. Like, like. I don't even know how she does it. I see her like behind me, but yet she'll still be able to be like, oh yeah, I was just talking to your mom at whatever convention, whatever contact, somehow they met my mom somewhere. I don't know how she does it, but <laughs> she definitely is my, my hype person. And uh, I won't say certain names out of jinxing it or you know stating it right now of unofficial stuff, but they've come up to me and just gone like, oh yeah, I was talking to your mom two seconds ago. And I'm like, how? I was... She didn't leave my sight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she's a loving person. If you ever met her, she will unofficially adopt you. And uh, she scares away any girl I bring to the house because just like, oh, it's so nice to meet my daughter-in-law. And it's like, okay, well, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never see her again. <laughs> uh, thing. She knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah, the support thing's great. Uh, what's your what's your opinion? Express your thoughts, and I'm sure it's positive, of course. But express your thoughts on how important it is for parents to support the dreams of their children. Oh, you have to support your kids in their dreams, and uh, but what's also important is that be realistic about it. Obviously, parents are always concerned, like, why don't you be a lawyer? Why don't you be a doctor? But what's the point of living a life that doesn't have doesn't have real aspirations? Because yeah. Uh, kids have uh, uh, a view at life of something they want to bring into the world. They want something to create. And when you give uh, them uh, uh, when you give them something to start on, it gets their their gears turning. I remember I was encouraging my little cousin to uh, make cartoons and all that stuff. And she just spent all day drawing. She spent all day drawing unicorns and all that. And something about seeing someone else, someone else spark, it is just astounding. Cause you never know what that's going to fall into, what that's going to snowball into this giant thing. Cause it's, 
it's so weird when you oh God, I'm all over the place because my brain is like yeah, the right, the right in every tools, direction. The right tools always help make it's uh, it, better. What what I what I'm what I'm struggling to think about or struggling to form words in is that uh, when you get to a uh, oh my god, okay, I'm stuck in the uh, yeah, stage but... light. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, please edit all this out. <laughs> my work for um, me, man. All right. So <laughs> when you have kids and they have aspirations to do something great right. and you influence it, you uh, – God, I feel like that nutty professor scene. You remember when he loses all his intelligence in that moment? <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us at the worst time. It does, yeah. No, because as soon as I hit the peloton, I'm going to have the exact verbatim thing. You know, the shower thoughts. Um yep. <laughs> after show thoughts absolutely uh everyone's inspired by artists but everyone takes them for granted but it's it's something that you can reap an amazing reward from when you do influence someone to an extent because nothing is better when you understand that someone's doing something really cool and that they're bringing something new in the world a new voice and what's so amazing about an artist is that no artist is the same you can spend your entire life aping on someone else's style aesthetic and all that but no matter how much you try to be someone else you are always going to have your fingerprint on something no matter how much there's going to be that dash that's solely you and just to innovate that over time becomes something new or organic and interesting and I know there's a lot of artists out there that have died before they got the recognition they deserve from writers to artists and all sorts of stuff, Van Gogh and all that kind of stuff. Their influence still impacts people later because everything, especially in art and any form of genre, is just a ransom note as it just keeps going on. It's always just a mixture of other influences that were before and all that. And when we look back at you know artwork, we wonder, how did they do it? How did they just become you know, such a recognizable artist. How did they become like such a unique person out of the gate? And it's not out of the gate. Yeah. It's just something they were influenced by and how they contorted it. And the way I learned how to do art and how the majority of people do it is that you have to learn as much as you can. You must learn all of the rules as much as it sucks, as much as it's painstaking and frustrating and late night, uh, you know, stresses. Blood, sweat, learn, and tears. Yeah. And when you learn all the rules... That's when you are allowed to break them. And that's how you innovate. And it's it it's just amazing. And I it's it's hard to describe how important it is to do that to a kid. Because when you get the idea in their head that they can do something, yeah. they'll do it. It'll become a fixation. Because when you repression never works. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes something else because I've also encountered people that probably had creative ideas and creative aspirations and they repressed it all their life and tear down other people because they never were able to, you know, express themselves, you know, almost like a metaphor for politicians. Uh, But when like, 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 for example, I have encountered people that want me to do work for them by literally doing everything for them because they understand what goes into what I do because they never tried. 
And it's easier to have someone else, you know, take over something. And basically you got to reach for your dreams or someone else is going to try to force their dreams upon you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. The, um, the, you know, you see all, you know, also come people that don't get support. They, you know, they, they excel too. It's more of the, you know, trying to prove themselves type deal. You'll see a lot of people that come from, you know, maybe like a broken home or something like that, or didn't have a both parents or something like that, or even had parents and it was not quite a supportive thing. I said something last episode that I actually wanted to kind of call back on at some point, and this is a good time to do it too. I said, you know, there was two different types of family and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're supportive and then there's negative. And I'm, what I meant to say is there's two types of negative with the families. You have like family that can be cold and just, just maybe they had something that they didn't do that they have like a bitterness towards that. But then there's also a family side where there's there, they care, but because in their head, they can't comprehend success in that field that they don't, they don't, they, they don't push it because they don't want you to fail. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they feel like them, supporting it is setting you up for failure you know what i mean so or they're over or they're over supportive and yeah which can be bad drag the lo- your love for that yeah you don't you don't give you. them like proper failure yeah like like melissa was saying is that like if you're over supportive you can also because it's like uh you want the everybody wants that approval i think that's one right. thing especially young artists want to do what regardless of what balance. it is you you need that you you want if you want to do a punk band you want to have like the parents are like you can't do that in the house it's like well screw you Bob we're gonna do it anyway right. but it's hard to uh, be punk when everyone's super supportive in a way almost yeah. uh, but uh, it's it's really hard when you keep getting like good feedback constantly because you need the negative to know like what to take in and what to approve on. And not just like toxic, you know, meanness and all that. I think a lot of young artists especially have that issue of uh, having friends and not taking critical feedback in certain ways. And, you know, there are people that are very sensitive to things because I, I do believe that you should accept failure, know your standards and not to be harsh on yourself. For the most part, I am my own boss and my boss is a complete asswipe. <laughs> and when uh, whenever something is negative said towards me and it bothers me more than an entire day. And it's still in my mind. That means there's a nougat of truth in what they said. Yeah. And I think more people need to recognize that growing as a person is that like, it's, it's not what they said was bad and wrong and all that. But if it bothers you for a while, there's a truth to it that you need to address to yeah. move on from it. And I think that applies to our work as well. It's just like, if someone says that you're uh faces all look the same when you draw or your anatomy isn't right or whatever. And you just go, no, no, no. Everyone says I'm great. What's up with this jerk, blah, blah. You know, there's like a little truth to it. So accept it and try to, you know, look into it. And the biggest advice that I was given over the years that I absolutely hated as a young artist. And now that I am working in the most, you know, in the industry, I guess, for the most part is that do it. Yeah. Because, that's all you really need to do for the most part because uh, they want to see what you can do, not the well-wishing of like, oh, I am able to, uh, you know, uh, 
oh, I can I can write, I can draw, I can do all that. And they're just like, okay, where's, where, where's your examples of this? And it's like, oh, no, but I promise I can do it. Yeah. Can't really get a job that way, can you? Yeah. But also, if you just go for it, you never know what you're going to hit. Yeah, sure. you can't, you're not going to get that great job as an artist just because you can all draw the same turtle. Before the, uh, before the drawing and cartooning thing kicked up, did you have some regular jobs, you know, that you kind of did? Uh, go back. I, I heard story of uh, some some donut shop hopping. Yeah, I used I used to work at a uh, um, a off the highway donut shop, and uh, I had some very interesting customers. It also was probably a great way of how I learned how to uh, become a salesman. Yeah, doesn't there doesn't there um, back doesn't there dumpsters double as morgues for like prostitution and stuff like that didn't i hear that <laughs> not where that's, i was that's where the horror movies came in higher class that's that was the class donut shop that was the I donut shop there. down the street called the glazed yes <laughs> <laughs> glazed and dazed yes. yeah everyone was schlubby and doughy now he's gonna now he's gonna forget all about us little people <laughs> story of my life story of my dang life but yeah, the donut shop's cool. So you got any fun stories from the donut shop? Uh, bec- I, well, also working these, in retail, def- characters. I love strange characters. Big fan. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and because I I know they're probably never going to listen to podcasts or watch shows. Is that um, when I got to do uh, the Adam Green comic, they needed me to draw witches, and I need I had to make uh-huh. it more original. And I had to think, like, oh, my God, what can I do to make these witches be aesthetically pleasing and classic? And so I based them off my my kind of mean old managers. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> and if they do see this, come on. Um, I'm Have just some fun, teasing. live a little. But Alex made you live forever in art. I did, yeah. but also you could have left. You could have let me leave home early while checking out the cash box so I could actually pursue my career. So anyway, um, we'll dig there. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, working in retail was also just uh, another way of how to do artwork in a way because it seems like in my career everybody wants, everybody likes to put down the same thing they want on demand. Yeah. Like when people put down people at their Mick job while still like mocking them for their job, but yet still want a Big Mac. Yeah. Like I, I, I still just. Oh, they're busting somebody's chops about working at McDonald's, and they work down the street at Wendy's. Well, they're just jealous that they want to work at McDonald's. That's the deal. That's what. I, that's how I take it. I, I, some of these people were unreal. I remember these two middle-aged old women who act like teenagers. Both had yeah. their cell phones out, oh, and they came up, and they're both, and you know, they're both like, "Hi, we want gourmet coffees," and then they walked away, and. Like I, gore, I was like, what kind of coffee? Gourmet is like multiple flavors. And they were on the phone and they looked at me like I was being rude to them. Yeah. And so they turned around like, gourmet. And so I just gave them shots or whatever. And then uh, they came up and it was like, I want the red velvet donut. And I looked around and went to my shelf because I'm the only one there operating. I know all the donuts that we have. And I said, sorry, man, we don't have any red velvet muffins. And she went, I don't want the muffin. I want the red velvet donut. 
I looked again, and I saw the only donut we had was cherry, because it had, like, a big written sign that said cherry on it. And I was like, you mean the cherry, ma'am? And she was like, no, the red velvet. And so I went and pointed at it and even touched the sign after an entire minute of her directing me where I was going to point. And I said, this one? And I touched the sign that said cherry. Yeah. And she she went, yes, that one. And I was like, that's cherry. And she was like, well, that's not what I wanted. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't have the infinity gauntlet. I can't just change it. It's not how reality works. Fine, I'll give you the cherry donut, and you can keep it in your mind that it's red velvet. Just take it and go. You're holding up my line. <laughs> I wonder but the, if- she demanded a refund because of that. Oh, Jesus. She, no, was, she was like, I want a refund. I want a refund of everything. And Anybody like- that works in the healthcare field or in any kind of field where they have to deal with people on a constant basis all need to get like saint awards because oh yeah the patients you have to yeah the patients you have to develop with dealing with some customers is like god has to bestow that power on you because you just want to some, reach out with some of them and just smack them across the head i worked in a deli for many moons and that had to have been the worst job i've ever had you know the way that they talk down on people when they when they're waiting on them it's like humans were not meant to wait on humans. Like that's what oh, what's your worst? I know you probably told. What's your worst? I have to know. <laughs> oh my goodness! I've had I had somebody come up and in the same situation like that, you know, just kind of complain about something very foolish about um, she was definitely wrong. I think it was a, like a slice of cheese or like meat the size of the slice. She I showed her. And uh, she said, okay, I cut it. And then at the end, she had like an issue with it. And I was like, that's what you told me. Like I showed you. And then she left and her husband came in and like wanted to fight me on the spot. And I was so pissed. I was like, dude, I'm like, I fucking get out like six o'clock, dude, if you want to be here. Like I was pissed, dude, pissed. <laughs> um, all types of shit like that. Because it's, it's crazy, dude. Anywhere we're like, anywhere where anybody thinks they're they're above anybody else, which, you know, unfortunately we're going to have to deal with that forever. But whenever you have that element, that dynamic, you know, if, if you're dealing with good hearted people, like I always say, if you dealing with them, good hearted people, you'll be <laughs> all right. But once you get those bad hearted people, ah, oh, fuck, you don't want to deal. You want to murder them. I, I worked, I worked in a, I worked at a Burger King in uh, yeah. high school in a not so great neighborhood. Yeah. And I was closing one night and it was like a Saturday. So like, you know, it's improv. It was like deep improv. And, you know, these group of kids every weekend would always come in there and he dropped a bag of weed and couldn't find it or whatever. So he thought he dropped it there and came back wielding a gun. Like, talk about going to shoot everybody over a freaking bag of weed. I'm like, bro, how much was your bag of weed? I'll give you the fucking money for it. But it isn't even here. Like, the people are nuts. <laughs> At a Burger King? And a Burger King. That reminds me of the Johnny Cash song where he goes, he can't find a job, but oh, Lord, he found a gun. <laughs> That's how that goes. Oh, my God. It's. Uh, Go buy another bag of weed for crap. You know, a little wannabe. Talk, gang- Alex, talk. Yeah, a little Alex, wannabe gangbanger. You know, 
But it's like, what do you think happened? That they just put them in the boxes and just sold your little crumbs to people as they came by? Like, right. Like, what? what's the point? Like, really? Those Oreo cream pies are now edibles, bro. <laughs> Like, did you did you give the did you offer like a special or something for like if you come into the back window, we'll offer you the you know the uh, yeah no the extra lettuce burger. Yeah. Um, the funniest That's- part is he probably didn't even dr- drop a bag of weed. That was his excuse for like second guessing a robbery. Mm. He had the gun out and he's like, "Oh fuck, I'm gonna have to go to jail for this." You guys stole my bag of weed. What the fuck, man? So if you're robbing a Burger King, how much money do you really think you're going to get when they're constantly doing drops all day? If you're if you're delusional enough to go back to a BK to have it your way with a fucking gun to get a little bag of weed you dropped, you should have jumped out the fucking that window. You should have tossed out that drive-through window. Obviously, your business isn't doing too well if you're worried about one yeah, gun bag. If there was guns <laughs> in that bullet, dude, he, he could have killed everybody for nothing. Like that, those are those literally you hear about. Because back then, you know, I mean when. Back then, the weed was like, you know, that shit that still had stems and seeds in it. Like, really? You're going to be fr- you're worried about that? <laughs> it, I, think it's absolutely a, I think it was ridiculous. a robbery gone wrong. Yes, Alex. Sorry. I'm, I'm also sorry for is horrible. because I know the no. cadence is weird over, like, this call and stuff. You're the star. You're the star, though. I'm not the star. You Customer guys are service. The star. No. You have great presence to yourself. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I think you do. You have I'm a, just a loser at the end of the day. You should do more film. We all are, more. though. You should I, act more. And I can see you doing stand-up. Have you done stand-up before, Alex? I have done stand-up before. All, right before I get to that, I also wanted to say is that when I was working at the as the donut shop, yeah. uh, there was this one woman who came up who uh, had like a thousand kids hanging off her. Oh, and God. she came in, she's cussing out her boyfriend that's in the parking lot, you know, that no good guy, and just like all angry and whatever. Just a thousand kids going, Mama, what a good chicken, what a chicken nuggets, you know, just. Well, maybe you should have wore a condom with your, you know, when you were making these, and you wouldn't have all these kids now aggravating you. Well, I, I, like, I felt bad for her because she was dealing with a lot and, again, 100 hospitality rating. So I was like, hey, ma'am, what would you, what would you like? And she was like, I'm just so frustrated. So is the cappuccino any good here? And I was like, you know what? It's cool. I gave her, like, a free little shot of the cappuccino just for her to test as a little demo. And I shot a little bit of it. I gave it to her. And she was sipping on it. And she was just like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. This tastes amazing. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, like, uh, she was like, oh, sorry, I don't have any money. I'm like, it's cool. You can have like this little sample and all that, but you know, just, you know, be kind of hope you feel better today and all that. Took a step and said, mm, this is just, this is really good. Oh, wait, does this have any caffeine in it? And I was like, yes, it's a cappuccino. And this is like a donut shop. And uh, here's your sign. She then said, Oh, I'm allergic to caffeine. Shit. Next thing you know, you're calling 911 because she's having an anaphylaxis shock. And I just <laughs> stared at her blankly like, okay, well, what does this mean? Am I going to have my job completely destroyed now? And uh, she just went, well, oh, well, I think I should be okay. And she just walked away. And so she could be dead for all I know. That's all I know about her. Maybe you did but- her a favor. It's. I really hope I didn't give her her out from her kids that way. I just don't. I just don't. Under, I, don't I just don't know how somebody could walk into a coffee shop, donut shop, order a cappuccino, and not know that there's caffeine in it. Did she it buy is other amazing. things? 
Did she buy other things or did she try the coffee and say she had no money, period? That's what happened. The latter. She just came up and was just like, oh, do you have anything good? And I was like, here's a cappuccino. She took a sip and was like, this is great. Hopefully I don't die. And then she walked away. I try to read people yeah. in their situations like that, uh, that fake robbery. She unfortunately was trying to get free food for her children. Well, she could have actually attempted that. Was she going to share the little coffee to them? Because they're already so wily. Why would you give them caffeine? She's too proud. Huh. She's, she reminds me of Arlo the Burping Pig a little bit. <laughs> I love these segues. <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell me about Arlo the Burping Pig? I didn't even talk about my stand-up career. <laughs> oh, you want to get into this? Oh, okay. Let's um, talk stand-up, man. I did. I love stand up. I did stand up for numerous years, and I honestly think everybody should do it. I think everybody should do an open mic and do stand up because it gets rid of that 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 stage fright, that feeling when the spotlight's on you. Yeah. Because when you fail, when you really do fail at stand up, when you bomb hard, like the best comedians chase that bomb to keep failing because when you because it's all about confidence. Yeah. And when you have that confidence while telling a joke, that's what people respond to because it, it's something to see a non-confident comedian trying to tell a good joke, but just doesn't land. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I love doing stand-up. I didn't always have the best jokes. I even had close friends of mine come to a show and tell me afterwards that I sucked, which yeah. is not friends I have anymore. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, you know, it's good to get criticism, but ones that just tear you down because of your own insecurities. Yeah. And just like someone who... Sorry. Sorry. What were you oh, saying? no, you're good. No, I was agreeing with you. Oh, yeah. So, so like, just the same... Insecurities can be such a damning thing from, like, someone who looks down at people at donut shops, someone who tries to rob a Burger King with a gun. It's all these weird insecurities that stem from people that love to tear other people down from ours into whatever else. And... uh it's oh God. I'm trying to always weed this all in without sounding so goddamn pretentious. Um, <laughs> uh, but man, I still remember my absolute favorite moment of doing stand-up was uh, I told a terrible joke. I wanted to go off the cuff. I told a terrible joke, and I bombed hard. No one laughed. All my jokes were weird, very dark. They made no sense, and. Uh, uh, I think I even told like a weird bestiality joke and that didn't land, you know, and uh, I was like one of the first comedians to go up after this long list of comedians. And I went outside to the balcony and this giant group of people like this little group, little circle, they're all just talking shit about me. (laughs) And I joined in. They forgot what it looked like. And I just sat there and agreed and went on with them. That's hilarious. I got a funny DJ Stan the Man story like that. At the premiere, there's a lot of swears in the movie. I went outside for a second and a lady came out um, and started complaining to me about, you know, the language in the film, which was funny because she didn't know that I wrote it and directed it. Yeah. It made me laugh. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine her grabbing her husband's arm or whatever, who's probably in the film, when, uh, when we took the stage at the end to do the Q&A. She was like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so I'm talking about you. Yeah, I'm talking shit about you. <laughs> so oh, exactly. I, I also ended it off with talking about how badly I wanted to uh, bang myself. Oh, I, I that's a lot dark. I didn't think you would be that dark with your humor, man. I, you know what I mean. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Me? Oh, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just a poor. Little... He's just a sweet, innocent angel. 
yes, I'm just sweet and kind and never say anything horrible or wrong or, you know. He's Alex. He's just a big teddy bear. Who are your comedic influences? Beat me to it. Damn it. <laughs> um, oh, I guess I had many uh, comedic influences over time because there's a lot of different ways comics like deliver their stories. Some do like one-liners and man, one-liner jokes are, they're tricky, but also when someone gets you off guard, goes like, Hey, tell me a joke. And you don't know what to say. And one-liners are like the only thing. Cause there are comedians that tell stories. There are ones that do silly voices, you know, and it's, uh, I, I took a while for me to try to find my voice doing stand up. And I know it was like telling stories uh, and uh, oh, let's see what, like, I love, uh, uh, oh, come on. What's his name? Um, I love Stephen Wright. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I love Lucy K, especially before, well, before the whole fallout with him. I think he had a lot, I think he was a good philosopher in many regards, but Dude, he could have bounced back so easily if he really tried to, you know? Obviously, he was still really messed up at what he did, but, like, his career, he could have tried to salvage and made up for it. I mean, make amends and actually try. Don't just apologize. Just actually do something about it. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I guess... Uh, uh, um, I don't want there to be dead air, so I'm trying to think real fast. Like, um, <laughs> Doing the dice at all with the with the more foul humor or Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I enjoy uh, a, a variety. They're all just blanking on me right now because I'm like thinking of like like Stephen Byrne, um, or uh, uh, who's who's a bit more recent. Um, uh, I just remember I used to watch this very old. Uh, uh, Comedy Central DVDs. I used to buy the little stand-up ones yeah, yeah, when, yeah. before they went on to like have their own shows and spin-offs and specials and all that. And so I'm trying to remember how some of them were. And uh, like, man, a lot of them I'm thinking of really fell from grace. Um, a lot of dead, probably. Yeah. Either dead or you know, like, oh, uh, um, Big J Okerson. I love Big J Okerson. Dan Soder, classic. Oh yeah. Nobody does uh, a better nobody does a better macho man Randy Savage than Dan Soder. Yeah. Oh. I, I um I oh man, I also love uh um is it I think his name is Brett Moore. Yeah, I think Moore. Right. Yeah. I, I loved his stand up, I loved his energy that he brought. Um I like it when you can sink into someone's story when they tell a joke. Yeah. Where like they pretend to be like every character and you just buy it. It's it's something. It, there's something magical about comedians, but it's it's also so weird that satirical comedians can become modern day philosophers in a weird way because right. you know everybody loves to have something spoken to them in brevity, and the best way brevity can work for people is to be told through the metaphorical, uh, like you know, artistic things of a joke. You know, because yeah. it, it makes sense. Like. Uh, I mean, look at when Lucier was talking about uh, how we called Native Americans Indians for so long. Yeah. You're not Indians? <laughs> nah, you're Indians. <laughs> <laughs> you get into a lot of the, um, you like like Gilbert, Gottfried and stuff? I, I, I'd take you for a Gilbert fan. Oh, I like Gilbert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think everyone's tried to attempt that uh, 
Um, the uh, oh, what what's the joke called? Uh, oh, the aristocrats. The aristocrats. That's it. Yeah. You get into the. You get into the modern like comedy podcast, like with uh, you know Big J and Dan. They got like the bonfire. I find myself listening to a lot more like comedic podcasts than actual stand-ups nowadays. How about you? I haven't been able to check out many of them, but when I do get the chance, it's uh, it's pretty great because it, it's fun to look at how different people like view the world. You know, I know, but like a comedian per se, because they they love how to. Uh, change the flavor of how people perceive things. Yeah. The sometimes the, the way the body language is when they're telling the joke sometimes helps with the delivery of what they're going to tell you. It's like, that's also why I like John Mulaney. I like how he like presents himself when he's like speaking about uh, like, uh, uh, Oh God, what do you say? It was like um, people used his stand up as reference when they, they were, like talking on the news, if Cracker was as bad as the N word, and in his stand up, he said, "Like if you have to decide which word is worse, and you can't say one of them, that's the worst word." Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's true. Ah, it's great. I, I love uh, a lot of stand up, but it's um, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> the uh, how? When was the last time you were on stage? Like before COVID, obviously, but like you still pursue comedy or is it something that kind of you're more doing the drawing thing now? Well, the drawing thing kind of took over most of my life and even more so after the whole pandemic happened. And I was planning to probably try to hop back into it this year, but through the last three to four years I've had have been um, simply a progressive hell if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, probably the last five years has been intense. Yeah, because uh, you've had, you've gone, you've definitely gone through the ringer and back with a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been great with a, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hardships. Um, and uh, for a while I was, um, you know, doing all that. Like I, I had this expectation of how my life was going to go a certain way as everybody does. And, you know, we always deal with like that sadness, the depression, all that kind of stuff of, you know, of expectations. Um, you know, I was encouraged my entire life to do artwork. As I've said earlier, I wanted to do stand up because I love to make people laugh and be entertaining. And I thought like, eventually this will get to a place where, I'll just figure it out. It'll be fine. And uh, then my uh, entire life kind of went belly up. Like for a while, you know, I had that donut shop job on the off weekends. I would go up to do stand up and I was stuck basically, you know, living at my parents' house, not really doing much. And it was because I didn't have any transportation. I didn't really have, you know, I had aspirations, but, you know, I had my own limits. You know, I even lived at a place for, like, three years without cell phone service. That was pretty fun. <laughs> um, you know, in modern yeah, day. That, that's, that, that would drive me insane. Tough. Yeah, because when I try to call my friends, they're like, hey, you want to hang out? It's just like, <laughs> why are you calling me? It's not the 50s, you know? It's, <laughs> send it's like, a carrier oh. pigeon. Send a carrier pigeon to them. I might as well have. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I guess if you want me to go into it, I'll get into yeah, it, I guess. Let's get into it a little bit, if you don't mind, yeah. So, one day I um, had intense pain in my body. And I went to, I was rushed to the ER and I found out I had uh, gallstones. I had stones in my gallbladder and it blackened from the amount of stones and infection that was going on in it. And I was not in a good spot. Uh, it probably felt probably just a bit worse than kidney stones, you know, just around that same amount of pain. I don't know if you guys ever had kidney stones. Yeah, I'm dealing with that issue right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, uh, I know. <laughs> uh, best of luck to that. <laughs> um and but if you have save a kidney stone, they'll let you in. If you say you have a gallstone, they'll let you stay in the in the waiting room. It's ridiculous. Yep, and it's still just as painful. What's yeah. the actual What's the actual difference between them? Um, gallstone. Well, uh, I'm not sure what the difference is with too much of the gallstone. I know the pain is similar, but the way to describe a kidney stone is that I think it's a bit longer lasting in a way if it's not properly surgically removed, because imagine like a small bead, like the side of like a small pellet Mm -hmm. moving through angel hair pasta. (laughs) But also imagine that little bean is full of little quills sticking out and going through like that tiny little thing back in your kidneys, going through your little line, just scratching along the way. And the only thing that feels good is screaming and morphine. And you won't have to worry about the screaming once you get the morphine. <laughs> That's a very that was a beautiful picture you painted us. I want to hang it up in my living room. Well, I am an artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, his I next w- his next work is going to be a, a picture of a piece of angel hair with a kidney stone going through it. So, uh, if if I had to illustrate the the feeling of a kidney stone, it'd just be broken like drywall. That's all yeah. it would be. Like the cool busting through. Uh, but so I was brought into the ER and this doctor um, brought me in. They did the surgery. I woke up the next morning and he was, and they were kicking me out of there basically. And I was like, my insurance covers this. Why can't, you know, I stay. I still feel horrendous. I don't even feel like I can move. I feel awful, awful, awful. And he told me this line I'll never forget in my entire life. He said, do you know the story of Chicken Little? If you feel any problem at all, don't worry about it. And I was sent to my mom's apartment to be my guardian because she was going to supervise me because I was still very ill and sick. And for an entire day, I was screaming in pain. And I mean, I was like throwing up. My temperature went from violently cold to violently hot in a millisecond. And if you stepped on a floorboard on the other side of the room that gently vibrated towards me, I would scream to tears in pain. So I was forced by my mom. She threw me in the car and we're like, we're going to the hospital. And as I protest, I'm like, no, I can't. I he said, don't worry about it. They brought me back. And what they found out after looking at me, the doctor sent me home after slipping my bile duct wide open. And so for an entire day, my entire body was filling up with, bile oh god nothing like getting poisoned Sepsis, like when you get when you go septic or whatever i oh, was septic i i was very septic i was so I said, just... nothing like being poisoned right 
And uh, so I was stuck in the hospital, NG tube, tube down my nose, down my throat to siphon it, which didn't allow me to sleep because how much they had to suck out allowed me to breathe. They had to have me breathe a certain way. So I was choked awake. Didn't talk for like weeks. Um, I had my mom basically translate. I think it's also why me and my mom are very on the same page because she had to be my interpreter. My doctor botched my surgery several times afterwards, continuously. And don't worry, this isn't slander. I have evidence. But I can't. Same guy that told you to go home, too? Same guy. That dude is wild, man. Yeah. Yep. That's why I have no faith in the medical profession when because like they they fail to recognize the fact that there are people that actually know their body and right. aren't coming in there just looking for pain pills oh yeah right. but you know whatever uh pharmacy they have in their pocket is definitely going to make that choice for them as well um right. and uh i even had second opinions from other surgeons and he would only come visit me when i was alone in the room and we even had friends who worked at the hospital who was, who was telling us they got text messages from the doctor is that if I came in and wanted to be omitted under his name, he would reject me from it being entered into the hospital. Like, a, a, like not allowing me to enter if I try to go under his name. Wow, that's insane. He's trying to clean his hands of you. I made a short film about this doctor called Insomniac. That's what that is. It was really, really terrifying because there was a lot of times you told me like you were that close to dying yeah. you could have died numerous times and thank god you didn't and i, I just you know felt yeah. horrible i didn't know how i was going to bounce back and this was like lapsing for months and months and months in and out of the hospital because i didn't even know even another thing i had um i had a like ball put into my side that was supposed to siphon out the uh external like bile and all that kind of stuff and it was just a hole put in my side. It wasn't like a thing that was like, oh, it's going to be this little like, like a little bag know. with a, well, a yeah. tube type of deal. It was just kind of a hole. They like drilled a hole in my side and just put a tube in it, basically. And uh, I know it's a crude gesture, but trust me, this is a lot cruder having a thing shoved into your side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know somebody that just had that same procedure done too. So yeah, it's not. When they had it removed, did the doctor say okay? Uh, let's take it out a week early and yank it out. No. So that same doctor grabbed the tube. I held onto a desk and he pulled this tube and I even felt my organs shift to the side of my body as he pulled it out and was like, there, that's oh better. And I got sepsis again. I developed uh, a, uh, a uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, that is such a lawsuit. Can't. I had too many surgeries. They could blame anybody they want from how the amount of surgeries I had. That's and it's awful. too much to spend on me. They would totally jump on my case and come after me by, by wasting all my money to go after people who are incompetent. Yeah. That's awful. And it just, it was really bad, but eventually I started to get better. Then I had intense pain. That's when I figured out since I was in the hospital for so long, I guess that uh, ruined the amount of salt I had in my body, and I had two kidney stones falling after that. Because you know, the other one, was, the other one wasn't enough to deal with. Yeah. Yep, and it was the like I had kidney yeah. stones. But after all that in the hospital, I moved. I was moved into my mom's apartment. I mean, I was already there for so long, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to work towards my art career, right? 
I'm like, I've already dealt with like enough. I nearly died. You know, like what's, what's the point of my art career if I don't try to actually aspire to like dedicate myself to be an artist? What could be worse? Right. Uh, so I, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. I'll, I'll be an artist. I'll do all that. And, uh, and you're laid up. So what else do you have to have to do other than, you know, draw and do what you have to do? Exactly. And I, I was dealing with, uh, you know, my mom and my dad were always so supportive of my artwork and they're always encouraging and all that. So like my mom, my mom was all for it. You know, I was, you know, very hesitant going back to that donut job because when I came back in holding myself, when I still had stitches all over my body, they were asking like, so when do you think you're going to come back into work? And it's like, I'm, I'm like full of holes. Right. Like, yeah. Your health, is more, your, your, your health is more important than a job that could care less. And will hire <laughs> four people off the street. Oh, they don't care. Place you. I'm glad I made them witches. They don't care. Um, <laughs> but, uh, what was weird is that during that time, my mom was having a friend that was having like liver failure. And it was really sad because I, you know, I knew this guy, but I didn't know him super personally because he was like a family friend, but I didn't know him that close. And he was on the list. And, you know, every time we saw him, he was, you know, getting sick and, you know, they thought he was going to pass away. And, you know, uh, we didn't know what, what was going to happen with him. So I felt bad for my mom. We're dealing with all this. And I'm trying to think of what I want to do with my career, try to buy a car, you know, try to, you know, maybe I'll build on my portfolio and then I can do conventions at some point and a later thought. And uh, then my mom woke up one morning. Well, I woke up, I woke up and heard my mom sobbing and crying. And I was like, oh no, my mom's friend passed away. And so I got up to go to my mom and ask her, you know, like, what's up? So she can tell me that her friend passed away and I can console her and, you know, tell her it'll be okay. And so she, she grabbed me, she set me down. She was like, Alex, it's your dad. He's gone. And I didn't understand what she meant. She was like, he had a heart attack. And I'm like, is he in the hospital? Like, should we should go right now? And she was like, no, he's gone. And I snapped. I had an expectation in life that did not go the way I thought it was. I thought I was going to be able to do comics, show my dad, and he would just be like, that's great, that's cool, um, just as he was raising me to be. And that's not where my life was heading. My dad was never going to see my um, perceived kids I was going to have. In the head. You know, I had this life that I figured was eventually going to be what I was destined for. And the harsh reality that grew from that was what I need to do is to break a cycle that is destined for me because you can't aspire to reach anything if you don't try everything. If you don't do any of the hard stuff and just live life without risk, thinking that one day it's all going to come to you, it's not. The only revelation you're going to get is when life is struck hard and gives you the big picture. Because in that moment, I was just a failure. Everything sucked. I was overweight. 
I was just besides myself. I was alone. And I, hell, I remember trying to get my uh, suit for the funeral and they were asking me my sizes and I was crying because my dad knew all my sizes to heart. I would just text him and ask what my sizes were. It was awful because one of the pillars of my life was completely gone. And uh, so when I was able to recover, I talked to my dad's friends and connected with uh, a close family friend named Sean. I went out to Boston. I talked to him and he was very hard on me that I needed to strive for my career because I was telling him the things I wanted to do and all that. And he basically shook his head. and He was like, you need to do this. It was like, oh, go to the copyright office. You think smart. You need to make contacts. You need to do all this businessy stuff. You need to do this. And I was like, oh, you know, I just want to be an artist. I just want to whatever. It was just like, if you want this as a career, you got to head for it. You got to do everything that you don't want to do. You know, it's just like, it's like, you don't, you, want may- people, you don't want people stealing your hard, you know, blood, sweat and tears work and passing it off as theirs when it takes so long to make one piece perfect. Absolutely. And it was, uh, even my skill level wasn't anywhere where I thought it could be even marketable in any way. It was just, uh, I, I grew up with basically like, oh yeah, people like my work. I'll eventually get, you know, somewhere. And it's like, if I still had that, I probably would get somewhere probably in my late eighties yeah. because I was expecting something. So I went home and I basically forced myself to do things I didn't want to do. And if anyone wants to take this advice, 30 days to set a new lifestyle because by 30 days that has become your habit because breaking habits is hard. But when you try a new standard of what your life is, that will become the habit that you're introduced to 30 days. It'll become a standard. And by the 30th day, change it up if you need to tweak it because every morning I got up and made breakfast and took a walk. And then that walk became longer and that walk became faster. And I started to lose weight. I joined a weight manager program. I wanted to be better. I sent applications. I taught, well, not applications, but I got advice from artists and all that. I wanted to work on my passion projects. I wanted to show people what I was capable of. And the only way people can see that is to actually do it. And I did. And that's how I got a lot of jobs uh, for coloring comics or, you know, doing some uh, cartoony advertisements and all that stuff. And uh, I, I got to a point where uh, I was able and comfortable, like, showing my work on the side because you guys know Mazzy Productions, the yeah. uh, the booth I used to be a salesman at and show some stuff. I used to show my portfolio around, and there were some people at Rock and Shock that saw me, and they were like, hey, uh, you should do your own booth. And I was like, I don't know, same about doing that next year or something. I'm still trying to get everything together. And they're just like, mm-mm you should do your own booth. And he slapped an application to my hands and they're like, do it. And I was like, hell, all right. And seemed like everybody jumped on board because it was just already a long time coming. And, you know, I pursued it, got more connections, talking to people and just being present. And, you know, from the, from the disciplines I got from doing stand up, being a donut shop salesman, and all these things, just being confident in what I could do and what I cannot do. And just 
wanting everyone else to succeed because I cannot be out for myself because having a career is a team effort. Right. You know, like I'm still even flattered you guys even invited me on on here. You know, Alex, we love, love you. you. Love <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we we've, we've pretty much watched this entire process with you. You know, so. I'm, I'm sure it's been weird it's, seeing it in slivers. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, we've seen been able to keep up enough with it, you know, between mom and you. Yeah, and because my, even when you my were mom, sick, mom been... was phenomenal about keeping everybody up to date on how you were doing and going around the convention and getting everybody to sign cards that she was making for you. And you know, she's it's great. Oh to have yeah, that. I got sent back to the <laughs> hospital one convention. Yeah, had... right. The Scarecon weekend, you I, were in the hospital. I got everything to together. I got everything together for that con. And right before we got to go, I was sent to the hospital. And my mom and Bree went off and they they did everything at the booth. And my friend, my mom is friends with Terrifier, for God's sakes. It's <laughs> like every connection everybody else made in that con, I was like... They know my name, but they don't know me. I'm just an infamous, like, like folklore legend. I'm the Bigfoot of the con there. Of like, have you heard of Alex? <laughs> <laughs> I got well, a card that said from Billy Zane. Hell yeah, Billy Zane in the building. The entire weekend, everybody, everybody knew what was going on. You know, mom, mom was mom is your like mom's your biggest fan, and you know Important. it was awesome when she started coming around to everybody. Because she wanted us all to sign, you know, the giant card that she was making for you. So that you, yeah. we all, because we were all thinking about you and, you know, we had your best interests at heart, you know, hoping that you would be at the next one. So, you know. Oh, my God. I was so happy when I talked to my doctor and he was like, oh, yeah, let's let you leave like an hour early so you can make it to the end of your con. Because I was begging and trying to illustrate that, like, I need to be there. I have I have investment. And basically he said, oh, yeah, you can go. I basically ripped the IV out of my arm and I just bolted out of the building to hop in the car and go. That's that's when you just, you know, have mom throw an iPad on your table and, you know, just go live real quick. And I I mean, people would have understood you you were ill. It happens. (laughs) I'm also going to say my mom's, my mom's a very, she's not super ancient, but I got a feeling that would have been longer lapsed a week time to try to set up a thing. Like, no, mom, you need to go home and get these cords so we could get the webcam working and all. Just, well, let's I mean, just she go. Had, she, had, she had Brie there with her. And, you know, she was surrounded by everybody in Podcast Alley. So, you know, she would have been, she would have been okay. You remember how you were joking <laughs> at the beginning about, like, me with bikini babes on a beach and all that? That's basically the kind of text I was getting from my mom of, like, she was, like, having fun, like, showing herself, like, with a drink at the after party. I was, <laughs> yep. I was just sitting there with, like, 30 IVs on my arm, just sitting there, just watching, looking at my phone. My mom's like, a bitch. <laughs> like, I had the baddest FOMO you could ever imagine, just like, ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, she was so cute. Like, um, the VIP party on, on the Saturday night, because they had, like, that whole, um, like, circus carnival thing for the whole Terrifier thing. And like she's setting up games and helping with the with the games and I like she was like social butterfly like just seeing her like having 
a good time watching her grow and and talking to everybody too. Like your mom could probably do her own show. <laughs> oh yeah, she should do her own booth. She's even like want, she's been wanting to do more uh, wreaths and stuff. She was able to make some out of my booth. She made like these uh like gothic uh like uh, bash kit Halloween decorations into like these uh, Christmas or not so Christmas wreaths. Nice. She was basically selling me under under the table at my booth, and so. I, it's like eventually I need to kick her out so she can do her own booth because, <laughs> you know, God forbid, I want to try to start an art career and she's uh, she's well, hilariously and cutely stepping on my toes. I'm like, Mom, go. <laughs> Just do your own thing. People love you for you. Mom, you're cock-blocking me. <laughs> Can't break up the team. Half the half the, the fan base would jump ship. That's just how it goes. <laughs> It's it's like damning. It's just like, oh my god, yeah. It's like, oh, you come to see my artwork, and it's like, where's your mom? It's like, god damn it. We wanted to get a wreath and you know talk to mom a little bit. <laughs> How is the old uh, drawing cartooning community? You know, there's different the music community, super cutthroat comedy community, super cutthroat film community. Uh, I feel like almost like that your community would be a little more welcoming but i could be dead wrong how is the community over there for you know people coming into the drawing field and even when you were going back to school for it was there ego there with those students or was it pretty welcoming uh uh students yeah did you say you did you did classes you uh a teacher was teaching you drawing in in the beginning i I was it was a I was a volunteer at a uh, at a summer camp where we taught where we taught children how to draw okay stuff like that but eventually I did become an instructor at those summer camps and I did teach kids how to actually draw comics and stuff like that. And that was a wonderful experience too. I love teaching when I, yeah. well, maybe at some point actually, you know, maybe, maybe in the future, I won't say when, but maybe sometime I'll actually do like YouTube tutorials or something and show people how to do certain things in art. Um, the new even Bob though there's Ross. a lot already. What's that? You could be the new Bob Ross. Ah, little bush over here. Um, <laughs> a happy little tree. Happy actually, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I love this one class I had where it was really surprising but very heartwarming. Is that I my first year doing a comic book class? I had a bunch of these kids apply. I didn't know up until the day, and every single uh, student I had was a young girl. All these girls wanted to be artists and cartoonists, and I totally welcomed it. Yeah. Because I was expecting, like, the kids that wanted to draw Spider-Man and Batman and all that. And all these kids were like, I love Buffy. And it's like, wow, you have really cool parents. Yeah. yeah. Parenting done right. <laughs> it all goes back to the parenting. You know? There's even this, like, one girl that was really obsessed with Dragon Ball Z. And it's like, oh, my God, I know exactly who your dad is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when was your idea that you, you officially made it doing what you love? You want to get into that? Um, oh, but I, I guess I'll also address that. Yeah, the artist world is a bit cutthroat as anything else is too. Where, uh, uh, sorry, I know we're jumping around a lot. Um, no, it's that's what we do here. Yeah. Um, that's what we do best. <laughs> um, it is kind of cutthroat. It because I talk to my musician friends, I talk to you know comedian friends, and there's always a very weird parallel. And I think it's like uh, people only know what they can see. It's like working with people that don't have object permanence. Like if you are, if, if you know how to do like rock and roll and blues, 
and then you do a country band specifically for a little while, people will stigma you of like doing country until you establish you can do something else. Until you can establish you can do metal or whatever else or even reggae or it's people don't know until you can prove yourself of what you can do. It's it's very annoying. And obviously it's all cutthroat and sometimes it's up to people's uh, interpretation or arrogance. And I guess that's also goes with all art forms is that dealing with very arrogant people is something I think everybody just, uh, I've dealt with people like cons that come up to me and tell me about their billion dollar comic idea when I have not even engaged with them yet. Right. And uh, I remember this guy came on, like, completely bash and crapped on my artwork by saying how he didn't like it and just went on about his comic idea he was going to have, like, I was already on board with it. Yeah. yeah. And, it, oh, God, it's, comic it's ridiculous. Comic book fans are interesting people, too, like horror fans can be. Like I Juggalo would... sometimes, Mad Mel. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Shizzle. You know. Oh, Juggalo Day at Rock and Shock. Oh, I miss it. I know, <laughs> you know we used to dread it. <laughs> you get down with the clown? Does Alex get down with the clown on the Fago? I, I am not a Juggalo. I, I am not part of that posse, but I... I thought it was like, this has been like an ongoing story with us with the Juggalos because yeah. I've never been an ICP fan, wasn't into like Twisted. It's not my It's not my type of music at all. I I'm good for like R and B. Doesn't matter what year. I'm usually listening to R and B. So all of a sudden, I you know I started the other Facebook page because I kept get I keep getting thrown into Facebook jail, and every single person that sends me a friend request is some type of juggalo. What? So, yeah, every single person on my my Melissa Ruth page on Facebook is a juggalo or a juggalo. Juggalos like the show. We like Juggalos. Yeah. I love Juggalos. I'm down with the Juggalos. I, I like- didn't realize how many Juggalos, how many people were actually Juggalos until I started the other page, and that was their request. Like, they all have, like... Oh, they're sweet. Getting invited. Oh, yeah. Like, if they like something, they are super supportive. So I'm, like, I'm starting to, like, embrace Juggalo worlds a lot more now. Has been- I, I always accept, like, big, uh, you know, receptive communities that enjoy it they like, but they don't crap on other people because yep. they don't like it. Right. Because we all know that kind of fandom. Like, yeah. I, I think everyone kind of curls their toes when someone goes on about, say, like, Star Wars or something else like that, where it's just like, oh, okay. As I got my Star Wars shirt on. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I remember when I did, uh, I made a little fan art of Victor Crowley where he's, like, running with a hatchet. And I, I didn't know until it was like a T-shirt that it looked like the um, the character that's on a lot of uh, the insane clown posse shirts. Yeah, they're hatching. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that until like, oh, it looks like that. I guess Kane Hodder's super happy since he is one. <laughs> Kane Hodder's a juggalo. Yeah, I remember uh, I was doing an ICP show with Kane Hodder, kind of back in the Rock and Shock days. I had a quick question for you. In the same way that filmmaking has kind of been flooded in the last couple of years because it's kind of become a little easier with the digital filmmaking process, would you say the same thing with the drawing where, you know, I see on I, people draw on iPads now and stuff like that, you know what I mean? It's not so much pen to paper 
as much as there's a lot of digital stuff now. Do you yeah. think that, that the markets, you know, a lot more people are doing it now because of the easy access of doing it? Or what do you think? I, I do think. I think it's made it a lot easier for people to sh- share their art because it's not the great like when you draw something like on a piece of paper all that you do watercolors and whatever you make it really fancy and you take a shot of it with like a really bad camera it doesn't get the lighting right or whatever but when you make it on like a cintiq or an ipad or something like that and you can immediately shoot it over instagram it's amazing that you don't have to worry about it that much because it's quick it's easy to process and the whole world works on instantaneous like you know visuals and you get the yeah you get the you're going to get the effect you're going for as opposed to it not being well received because of the fact that the lighting was off a little bit and people didn't get to see like certain details that would have stuck out more if the lighting had been better type of deal i still kind of feel that even when i do like all my uh, artwork and my intense detailing and a lot of things because i notice that when i tell people all the stuff i do and like a piece of artwork they go Oh yeah, I didn't notice that. And it's like it's great, but sometimes I wonder like why I waste uh like ten hours a day. Or no, I don't wonder. I I have a I have a very abusive relationship of my love towards artwork. I will work ten hours on a single piece for it to be thrown up Instagram and get like two likes. Yeah. And I'll be like, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh this or, is not, this is when your friends have to jump in and start reposting. Hopefully. Oh, that's the thing. It's like, I don't have any venom towards my friends or anything else like that. But like when they don't repost my artwork, I think it's because when people see something really quickly, when you see artwork and all that, some of my best artwork I've ever done has been completely ignored. It was like, oh, that's nice. And they take it for granted because they see it as a novelty. And I can't blame them. We're, we're used to seeing things as a no- novelty. Like, oh, that looks great. That looks a professional. And as much as I make something look professional and show it to my friends, they go like, that's neat. But when I make something that's really half-assed and crappy, sketchy or whatever else, that's where all likes come in because it has a bit more of that weird human element, I guess, where it's just like, oh, yeah, it looks amateurish. It looks like it's almost there. But when I show, like, my full capability, it's ignored. That takes more time. But if I make something I do in two seconds, it gets lit on fire. It's insanity. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I guess that's just what happens with most it's artists. A double edge, it's a double-edged sword with, you know, you got to take the good with, with the, taking the good with the bad. Well, that's the whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And, and, and a lot of times it really sucks too, like with social media too, because, you know, there could be stuff that you really actually want to see. And then because of the way the feeds are done, you lose sight of certain people. They get lost in the shuffle if, once they, you reach a certain amount of like friends, for whatever reason, you start losing the people you actually want to follow. And if you don't go to their individual page and click that you want to follow them so that you see their posts first, yeah, it, you the, miss a lot of stuff. Chasing analytics is probably the worst thing you can do. Instagram by far has the best like analytics for artists specifically because you can usually see artists' artwork better. I mean, maybe I'm not sure to put hashtags, but it's it's a good idea to do if you want to be noticed. Uh, but like uh, the algorithm on Twitter, YouTube, even Facebook, it's all very hard because most people don't see it. And it depends on the time of the day, time zones, uh, certain verbiages you use. Uh, I got a warning on my Patreon the other day uh, because I use certain verbiage. Hmm. I don't know if you guys saw my post about that. 
But I found out if I type the word gag, like I wrote ongoing gag on into my you know Patreon blog, and it it gave me a warning saying I may have uh, you violated know, their community standards. Yeah, they said I may have pornographic content. Ah, because I used the word gag. Gag, and it's like what what. I got, some, 30, I some, got 30 days in Facebook jail for a cartoon penis. Well, yeah. that is inexcusable. That's inexcusable. How dare you do that? For, I know. I mean, can you imagine like an old Renaissance person and the worst off part is, like, like it was a cartoon penis that was like literally like an extra belly button. And it was hysterical because, you know, for the five minutes it lasted on Facebook, it had a bunch of laughs. We but. Were, 30 days, like, are you serious? It's a cartoon penis. <laughs> we, were, we were originally going to call the show Blowjob with Mel and Maddie. But then we decided <laughs> that we were going to switch it up to shock treatment because, you know, we don't want to deal with those issues. You know what I mean? <laughs> that really blows. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, just, it's just really bad that, you know, how sensitive or overly sensitive some people are to terminology that people use because you know, growing up, people were not that sensitive. Like, I mean, come on, we grew up with like Rodney Dangerfield and like guys <laughs> Clay and Eddie Murphy. Like, like yeah, listening to that kind of yeah, listening to that kind of language. So you know, you said gag. Oh my god, no! Please say it's not so. I, I think for the most sorry. No, uh, say we're gonna say. I, I think for the most part, it's like I I, I have a mixed feeling on how things are going like it's good to be thoughtful because i guess it's more marketable to be you know more politically correct in some regard but it obviously can go to a very hurtful extreme mm-hmm. and I, like obviously from my experience in the art community i really don't like censorship right but i can understand the need for it i can understand like there are children not prepared for certain things that is clearly for adults that's fair. But, but that's also why parents should be monitoring what their children are doing. Instead of analytics. Instead of allowing it to be absolutely to safeguards. That's mm-hmm. how we had that whole Spider-Man Elsa situation with YouTube. Even though YouTube is legally for people 14 and up, not children. I mean, YouTube's kids, but do kids really use YouTube kids that much? I mean, for God's sakes, don't let your kids be monitored by that. And if you want them to look at mindless, you know, whatever... Buy them a video game console or something. At least they learn eye-hand coordination that doctors even use. Yes, that's the time we live in now. We've accepted video games for the most part, but we still are like, hey, let's leave the funny man doing a Let's Play um, on YouTube to raise our kids, even though, whoopsie, said something a bit off-collar. You know, yeah. it's or they're introducing really terrible uh, philosophies. Um, or... Uh, or is a sociopath that has rich parents that gave them the ability to have uh, a shit ton of money where they make YouTube videos where they do horrible things and clickbait and thumbnails and give kids a diluted idea of how the world works around them, wanting to also become rich and famous because more kids today want to be Let's Players and stuff than actually be things that are more practical. Yeah. And my don't nephew, oversaturate the market. My nephew's five years old, and that kid is never without his tablet 
constantly on YouTube. I mean, it's got a parental lock on it. He can only pull up certain things. But there's this one little boy he follows. I wanted to say his name is Ryan, and he is a toy tester. He's about the same age, five or six. And he's got toy companies sending him all new. Yeah, he is absolutely loaded and has every toy in the world because companies are sending him free toys now, but he's obnoxious. With yeah, his of course. Yeah. Toy. There's, there's like, something about was, one. If that was my kid. I would want to smack the shit out of him, not put him on TV, like, or on the internet where other people can see how disrespectful my child really is. Yeah. Really? Because it's so, because what sucks is that we all want to be vicarious in other people's shoes. I mean, that's just, you know, the, the human, you know, uh, you know, experience is that we live through everyone else vicariously because we aspire to either be other people, but afraid to be ourselves because we can only emulate through others, but it's good to live through ourselves. I know that's a wish-washy philosophy there, but it's, uh, Give yourself more credit is basically what I'm saying. Uh, uh, so, uh, God, I'm really all over the place. Maybe I should drink coffee before this. You're on the perfect um, show for all over the place. Trust a me. Of, yeah, a, lot of adult, a lot of adults can't handle the celebrity lifestyle, so kids shouldn't have to either. You know what I mean? There should be an age limit on that. <laughs> you yeah, know? they're like, at that age, you should be just letting your child play with his toys, not using him as your dollar sign while he's making money and thinking it's great because he gets all these free toys, but mom and dad are really the ones at that point in time that are going to profit off of what he's doing. Yeah. That sounds like nineties kid stars. If you put it that way, Yeah, it, I, I just find it weird that like, well, what I was saying was like, it's one to like live through other people vicariously, but when it's kids, they don't understand the context of like the negative influences are getting from it, you know, because we've all like, you know, like they say, never meet your heroes in a way and all that. But like, you don't It's like really... having a pageant mom. Yeah, there's like, there's usually this weird ulterior motive that like, this person doesn't care about you. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like when a, uh, a, you know, lowly like farmer finally meets that shitty politician that they emulate. And it's like, we both earned our dollar. And they're like, no, I got it all inherited from me. Screw you. Right. I don't care about your your farm, old dude. You know, it's true. But, so we met Trump. No, sorry, did I say that? <laughs> I just heard a cough there. That's all I heard. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna try to get a Facebook jail again. <laughs> it won't be the first. And it won't be the last. <laughs> I know, but it, it echoes through so many uh, circles, politicians, or bad businesses, especially hypocrites. It's all just. Blech. Uh, but everybody wants cool stuff. I, I, it's, it's, I, I just think it's kind of hard for kids sometimes because I had a perception of how life was going to work. And, um, and I'm not even going back to the dark thing I was saying earlier. I mean, in a way where, uh, you have the expectations that are very toxic. Like when I was growing up, uh, I had this, uh, ingrained thing, or if I see someone with a letterman's jacket, that means they're a bully. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, or it's like, if you're a nerd, you're entitled to everything. I was a nerd, so I don't know. I didn't receive any of those benefits, you know, in, in school. So, But you're I, also I, a lady. I, like, I was tortured in school, like, hated it. 
torture school. I spent more time like not going to school or going to school and leaving because I just despised being there so badly because I was tortured. And now here I am doing this. So it's like, oh, yeah, like here's the nerd talking shit about all these people that, you know, I love seeing the popular people, you know, those so-called popular people now that are all fat with like 20 kids. And you know, because uh, because <laughs> the highlight of their life was in high school, and now it's over. You know, yeah, now it's real life. You know, the same thing with the kid, the kid thing you were just talking about. That kid's gonna feel like he's the greatest thing in the world till he's fifteen, and then he's gonna go off the deep end, and hopefully, you don't go into like drugs and alcohol or even darker things like this is suicide. But because he'll have everything in the world, and you know, everything don't last forever. You know what I mean? It's just scary with the stuff that these people post on YouTube sometimes, though, especially when you think about kids because you know they have like people posting like videos of like from the like, school shootings and stuff and like there's enough negativity in this world without having to have it constantly I, thrown in your face i think all those kids come to a point in their career and lives when they re- when they look at their parents using them as a way to make money like they eventually get to that age where they'll be like maybe i shouldn't have been doing it this young well why was i doing it this young oh because my parents were pushing me why were they doing that? Oh, because they were getting this money for it. You know, we know tons of celebrity kids that, that by the time they're 18, their money's all gone. You know what I mean? You guys are reminding me of that Daddy 05 controversy that happened. You guys remember that? No, what happened? Oh, this guy made YouTube videos where he straight up abused his children oh, for, like, shit. laughs. Wow. You know, like... Who did that recently, too. It, it was this whole thing that happened a while back ago. It was a whole YouTube drama and whatever. It, it was like this whole thing where, like, they basically made this kid cry. They were, like, yelling at him for, like, nothing. Like, that was the joke. And he, like, was weeping and crying and all that. And when people saw this, they called Child Protective Services on his family. Yeah. And, there, and there are still, like, people that were trying to defend him going, oh, it's funny. Like, back, why is people so sensitive? And it's like, this is abuse. Yeah, that is not that is a big difference. Like the poor child is breaking down. That's yeah. not right. Like you're, you're, the kid you're is in, overly sobbing. You're you're it's the ugly destroying side. his self image. That's the I, ugly I, side I, of celebrity. You know what I mean? Like that's that's somebody that watches Teen Mom and says, "I'm going to beat my kids on YouTube and get a TV show on MTV over it." You know what I mean? That's the scary thing too is that people want to be popular. Yeah. But it's like, do you even know what to do when you are? Yeah. Then, because that's what happens. That's what makes them go off the deep end. Because what you perceive as popular may not be the idea you have. You want to be coy that like, oh, yeah, that's me or whatever, and just be higher than other people. Because the the idea of like this horrible narcissistic fantasy everybody wants is to get to a point where they can be higher in the totem pole just so they can have that feeling like, oh, yeah, I used to be low, but now I'm high. I'm now better. But what's the point of being that at that place when you never get it? Because I've gotten to positions where I've had that feeling of now what? Yeah. You know, and it's it. There's never that euphoric moment where you're like, snap, like, here I am. I did it. Yeah. You just keep going. Right. And then you have to realize that it's your own standards. Yeah. And I think a lot of people need to accept that. When you are growing up, you're told that, you know, you got to have the biggest house, you got to have all the money, you got to have all this and this and this, all the biggest, greatest things. You got the fast cars, you got to have the girls. Yeah. Yeah. That's standards that are set from everyone else around you. 
I mean, hell, that's why I and probably many other like women out there have by body issues and all that because you're set standards for yourself. Right. I was a fat kid my entire life. Me you know? too. And it was, uh, you know, I lost weight and I still don't really see much difference. I know some people got weird about it, but it's, uh, it, it, it was very frustrating to find out that like everybody's uh, standards are very arbitrary. They don't matter. It's person to person. So if you set your standards for who you are for yourself, you can be a lot happier than people that have it all because the richest people in the world are usually the cheapest as evidence of men. And the most miserable. What's that? And the most miserable. And the most miserable because it's just like, what do you do from there? Did you achieve anything? Do you want to do anything? Do you want to be an artist? Do you want to be all that? Or did you get all this way to get where you are because you're repressed and now that you have power, now you're going to punch down? Yeah. And that helps nobody. It just hurts themselves more. And I think that's also why it's good to encourage kids and make sure they don't repress or do anything else. And, you know, even with you guys, I'm sure that there's some artwork and stand up and music and all sorts of things. Even this podcast, anything you want to do and aspire you know, to do is relieving a gauge that could be, you know, stuck inside. Cause I think what's horrible about certain kids that grew up in really bad situations is you don't know if they have something in them that's going to like explode at some point because they don't understand the emotions they have. Yeah. But to give them a positive outlet to get those emotions out. Yeah. It's all how you, it's, it's, um, what do you call it? Um, Fuck! I'm, go- I'm being going. A, I'm going. Being I'm a going. good being, it's being a good role model and being a professor over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's just like you know, grow, when you when you grow up and you you've been picked on your entire life, like you want to make sure that your kids don't grow up feeling the way that you did. So you you try to instill on them that you know, do what you want to do despite what people say because their opinion doesn't matter because it's they can say whatever they want about you, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it's what you feel about you that matters. It's a dark time for kids in general. Yeah. And it's look at their heroes. Look at the, look at these people. They paint as heroes to the youth. You know what I mean? These rappers and Kanye West and Kim Kardashians, and they try and make it, make happiness. And it's fantastic. They have their artistic ways, but the way they go about doing it is not the way you want your children. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's the devil. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's telling 15-year-olds, you, when you're 15 and somebody tells you they love you, you got to believe it. Okay? She can make $10 million by writing a song about it. She well, feeds off of the emotion. Well, I, of I think there's always that kind of weird pattern that keeps happening within every generation because like, the whole like Twilight Boom happened when I was in like high school. Yeah. And... That was something because that was definitely an illustration of like, oh, girls, all you need in life is to get a boyfriend or something. Mm-hmm. Where instead of teaching them different disciplines, but I, I, I think uh, it's good to have bad role models and sometimes bad to have hardships because we want to protect our kids. We want them to have you know everything we didn't. You know, just because you know uh, you know things are easier and more accessible to kids. We should never, you know, take that away from them, but kids also still need to have, you know, their hand burn in the stove a bit. And yeah. even yeah. adults, adults a little really tough need... love a little bit. Yeah. 
Not, I don't mean tough love. I mean, like, sometimes they need to be left on their own devices and fail. Find out why. Yeah, find out why. You I mean, there's people that you can tell them, tell them all day long why they shouldn't do something, but they just have to learn it for themselves, unfortunately. To go back to what it's the expression thing. When Alex was talking about kids, you don't know who's going to explode. It's yeah. all about they got to be taught how to express themselves. Talk to the outlet, quiet kids. Yeah, if you have an outlet to express, whether it's artistically, which is – you know, there's nothing more therapeutic than artistic things because you're creating, and even if you have little faith. Well, that's what I'm saying. Self, you're taking all that negative energy that it gives a kid at you, and you've got a positive outlet to be creative. It gives a kid that even yes. if they feel like they're nothing, when they when they create something beautiful from nothing, gives them faith in themselves. You know what I mean? So it's a beautiful but, thing. But that's what I'm, it, but that's also, what it's I'm like, saying. You you have to have that faith in yourself. You can't depend on other people all the time. Never. Because <laughs> Exactly, because <laughs> you never, you know, every, the, you, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Alex, <laughs> is when you get when you get to a uh, point with kids, you yeah. have to. Uh, it, what's hard with a kid is that a kid doesn't understand how to actually uh, eloquently explain, and I think this still echoes because I say kids, but I actually tense over many people because I know people that are much much older than me. And a lot of people young, young, younger than me. Right. And both of them still deal with a struggle of identity because they're trying to aspire to be so many things. Yeah. And what I mean by that and what the point I'm going to is I think too many people aspire to be prodigies mm-hmm. and be like in their prime. And there's a miscommunication that because a lot of people assume their prime means teenage. And I assume um, or I know that many people – who want to be prodigies that if they don't do something young, they missed out. And I think that's really sad and really hurtful because everybody wants to be the second of someone else than be the first of themselves because they have not found what yourself equivalates to in other people's eyes. Because when you're growing up, you set standards by everyone else's because you don't know anything. And people go through their entire life not knowing anything. That's why you have followers. That's why you follow celebrities. You follow religions. You follow all the sorts of stuff. I won't get into that kind of muddiness, but the whole point I'm getting at is when you have kids or uh, like here, 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 for example, there are people that made it that uh, are in the industry. Let's say comics for certain, like Jack Kirby the king of comics, one of the most famous comic artists to ever exist. You guys know Jack Kirby, right? Of course, of course, yeah. Kirby Crackle, all that kind of stuff, Galactus. Yeah, did you know he got most of his career started at, like, 40? Like, he got really picked up during that time? It's just like, shouldn't he have been, like, 15? You know, that's what we always hear. It's just like, everybody loves that young story of, like, someone growing up to be, but... Has anyone ever noticed that most prodigies grow up to be anxious, depressed people because so much expectation is put on them? Yeah. But when you're able to just do something and just go for it, it sometimes works out. And even Colonel Sanders of (laughs) Kentucky Fried Chicken. Gets his love story in his 15-minute movie. I wasn't even going to bring that up, but... (laughs) I had to. You brought it. You you, you know, you gave me the entry. (laughs) I think they're going to be historically inaccurate because these guys' careers started in his 60s. 60. Yep. He wasn't just a young man or whatever. Uh, It's... 
I, I, I think that aging, too many like, people... buying wines and getting to the point where we're successful for what we deem is successful at an age where we can appreciate it because we've done the whole journey. We, you know, we were able to live our life up, you know, and still living our lives and learning and whatnot. So you appreciate it. You appreciate a career that's well, yeah, successful when you can appreciate it. Life yes. Yeah. You, you know, we're not just young and partying, you know, because like, like a lot of these younger artists or whatnot, you know, and I'm not saying they all do it, but a lot of them get caught up in the, the world with the drugs and the partying because it's easily accessible because of who they are. Yeah. And I also Where think we're not focusing, well. you know, me growing up, I was focusing on the books, not partying or being around celebrities or even being popular. I didn't give a, I didn't give a care. Still really don't. <laughs> so it's like, it depends on the atmosphere that you're brought up with on how you ultimately, you know, end up with your level of success. And do you know the standards that you go by and how to improve and do all that? But I, I understand that it's hard I know a lot of people get depressed. I know it's they're very difficult. I know there are people that are in very dark places uh, that want to aspire to be because what sucks is that there are many artists in the world that are too afraid to speak up, that there are people that are, you know, just behind the screen, just aspiring to be something, and they don't have the go-ahead because they have either not heard about it they don't know if they're capable of doing anything. And the answer is you're, you're not capable. You can't do it. But you can if you do it anyway. Yeah. Because you think yourself as a failure, sure, fail. Yeah, fail, 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 fail. You Just won't keep... know until you try. Do you guys know that saying uh, that life is too short? Just do, do what you got? Yeah. Or just do whatever? Life's too short? Just follow your dreams? That's bullshit. That's saying, that's saying I absolutely hate, and I'll tell you why. I hate that saying because that saying was originally supposed to be a little, you know, encouraging line, encouraging metaphor for people to aspire to go do stuff. But now it's become a scapegoat, meaning for yourself to get anxious and depressed that you're missing out. Mm. I think too many, too many people perceive time, life, and age. Like, I'm almost 30 years old. I turn 29 in a, in a few days from now. And Wow, you're younger than I thought you were. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I chase big. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, when you try to think, like, oh, my God, I'm so, I, I'm so late in my life. I'm so, like, wherever. I can't, I can't do all the things I want, want to do. You there's no prime. There's you have plenty of time to get where you need to be. You clearly have plenty of time to stress out and freak out and get upset and get depressed and come back from it. You have time to talk to people. You have time to express yourself. You have time to work through issues. But you know your time is precious, you know all that, but don't hold yourself to these weird standards that that like life is too short. Life is long. 
I know it's not like, I know life is fleeting and all that, whatever, but life is long enough for you to screw up to get better. Yeah. Because I think too many people hold to that idea that like, I screwed up once, why even bother trying again? Because anyone that does any form of artwork from music to movies to anything is that, you know, the more you fail, the more you learn. And I think we re- repeated that obnoxiously throughout this entire thing. And if people, yeah, and if people gave up because they didn't succeed the first time, we wouldn't have all the actors and actresses and artists and musicians and whatever, you know, that we have in this world if they gave up after one failure. True. And I, I've seen people that go through their entire careers where, uh, like, even close friends I know where they just... They're just static. They don't do anything else because they're still waiting for that next that one big, big thing that, that they're not like striving towards, you know, and they scapegoat. They blame everyone else for their issues. They blame everyone else for their problems instead of like, it's like, it's not their fault, but they won't take accountability for their actions. Yeah. And I, I think usually people have to point at other people so they can feel better about their own insecurities. Unfortunately, yeah. And I think a lot of people do that without even thinking either. Very true. Very true. Very true. Well, we're Life gonna, is long enough to screw up. Is all. <laughs> true. We're going to lean into a happy place now. Um, Alex I, got the I feel so bad my dad died. Well, that's okay. bad news. Okay. Yeah, of course. Now you can't. Now you can't. Now you can't. Yeah, I know. Now you, you can't draw anymore. You have are to you, know, just. What's your take on death? Are you a are you a heaven guy? Are you a energy wait? Is guy? this is this the happy part we're segueing into? I was just being <laughs> facetious. Like, yeah, damn. yeah, yeah. You brought us there, dude. You brought us there. <laughs> yeah, we'll go into happiness after this question. We're getting real mostly ghostly on the world here. All right, fine. Another show we have, but what's your take? Um, so I'm going to say this. I probably had the um, biggest awakening and biggest shock in my life probably was at my dad's funeral because I take pride that I made The Undertaker cry with my speech. That's deep. Yeah. And, you know, I know that especially because my uh, grandparents and I even grew up in a funeral home with my grandparents. So I understood like the what it was like being around death. Because I remember I used to play with toy trucks and stuff before wakes would happen, so we'd literally play an extra dead body. That was like a thing that I didn't realize how morbid it was until I got older. Um, but when I came to this conclusion when I was talking at my dad's funeral was I felt bad I wasn't able to deliver to my dad what I wanted to do with my career. I wanted to show him my comics or get on stage and show him my accomplishments and whatever. And the revelation I had is that it wouldn't matter. He wouldn't care. He would think it's great. Yeah. But this, but who I was, I was already proud. He was already so proud of who I was in his eyes. And I realized how great my dad was. Yeah. My dad clearly was a, just, a, you know, he was a person. He had his foibles. He had all these issues too. But he still was a great supportive dad that just wanted the best for me. And I, no matter what I did, no matter how much I screwed up, no matter how much I failed, I would always, you know, be proud. You would always be proud because I would always think like, what would he say if I won something big? He'd just be like, that's cool. And that's what he, that's verbatim what he would say. And it made me feel comfortable realizing that there's nothing more I, I would even have to aspire to achieve 
because I live by my own and I'm in the continuation of who my dad was because I'm his kid. I'm his genetics. There are parts of me that look like him. Yeah. I did not. I I was, I was raised Christian, but I'm not a Christian because I know, you know, I know the mythologies of Christianity and there are some good ones and some, uh, interesting oh, ones. Horrific I mean, ones. They're horrific, but they're basically supposed to be a, a tool to illustrate morals and stories and all that. They get muddied because people have their own insecurities and agenda they like to carry out. And hell, there are a majority of people that believe the devil looks like the man on the hot sauce bottle and that angels are pe- are dudes with wings, yeah. even though most of these characters look like something out of Bayonetta. You know, something that has like a thousand wings all intertwined, eldritch and Lovecraftian looking things. And because if anyone saw a real angel, they would go like, oh, no, demons, because people are so warped. Yeah. Uh, It's, uh, you know, my my dad wanted to give me uh, what I wanted to pursue. And I got kind of bored of church and they got really mad at me. This also slight true story. I had a Sunday school where we were cutting out little Jesus cartoons and stick them on, like, uh, toilet paper rolls. And I remember there were, like, kids coloring him in different colors. I remember I had a stern talking after I colored him in brown. Yeah. Like, that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, the things that people will find an issue with. A Middle Eastern yeah, white man. Yeah, he's from the back in the, Back in the olden times. But uh, uh, the the other thing was that he made me believe that there is more to life than anything else. There's further concepts to accept and think about. Yeah. Uh, when people believe that you need the Bible to have a moral grounding is wrong. Right. And I don't mean that, like, it's wrong to believe in religion. You totally can. That's absolutely right. But it's the only place where you can get a moral bound? Mm-mm. That is absolutely untrue. Because it's a great place to get it if you want to like like teach certain kids, but don't indoctrinate them and force them into it. That's yeah. not right. You need to have have let them have their own agency. I mean, hell, they even give uh, uh, the Am- Amish kids like Rumspringer and stuff like that, so they can go out and experience the world on their own to have their own decisions. Yeah. Um, even though that's a little bit more crass to like like not allow them back if they choose to they leave. Make, uh, it's what yeah they strong arm them a little bit. Yeah, it's. Because you don't know, uh, like, my dad was fascinated with sci-fi. And every anniversary on his birthday, I take a day off and have a sci-fi day. And because that's how he influenced me. He showed me sci-fi, all these higher concepts of stuff of, like, these what-ifs. He would show me constellations in the sky as a kid. And he made me believe that, you know, the Earth, you know, the universe is big, but we never really, we never look up. We're just constantly looking down because we're anchored to a giant mud ball, basically. You know? Yeah. We came up with looking up. And it makes you think, like, what else we came up with? I know it's very, you know, you know, philosophical, very, you know, big picture stuff. But sometimes you got to feel small so you can see big. Yeah. Sometimes you have to feel small so that you can feel big. That's deepest. That's deep, deep, deeper than the, the darkest oceans in the darkest places of the darkest of earth. 
I'm popping on real quick to finish up this first part and uh, say we'll see all you great folks in part two of Alex Hoy on Shock Treatment with, with Mel and, and Marty. Marty.